Welcome to the Alamo City Investing Show with your hosts, Jason Lee and myself, Aaron Beal. This is episode number two and have a lot of fun things to talk about today. So we're going to give just kind of an update of what we have going on in our business, talk about, you know, the annual big Texas freeze we have going on, one of our deals that closed this week that didn't go as planned. And then we're going to jump into kind of a step-by-step guide to find your first off-market deal. But yeah, so with that, Jason, let's jump into the big freeze this year. So last year, so I've lived in Texas almost 10 years. Jason, you've been here, what, four or five, five years? Just over five, yeah, just over five years. In the first several years I lived here, it never froze. And then for the last probably two or three years, we get these freezes every year. And it's an absolute nightmare when things freeze here. Everyone freaks out and buys everything from the grocery store. Everything breaks. We lose power. Like no houses are built to ever be that cold. So, you know, places, what I'm used to, like up north where I'm from in Ohio, things don't freeze unless it's like zero degrees out. Then you get concerned about pipes freezing. Here, if you're going to be under like 30 for any length of time, there's some serious risk with your pipes freezing. And we found out that we found that out the hard way last year. So if we have the video, we'll throw it up here if we can find it. Yeah, we'll see if we can find it. The yeah, so Aaron's talking about one we had up in Canyon Lake. So I remember I think when was the freeze last year? Like January ish? The I, same time last year, maybe. I think it was right before Christmas, because we kind of right like Christmas. we kind of half asked the whole thing. Cause Yeah. I mean, like, so we have properties kind of all over the place. San Antonio geographically is pretty spread out. And then we have houses kind of like within an hour in any direction. So it, I think we were both about to go out of town for Christmas and we were kind of like, oh, it's going to freeze. We should like kind of pretend that we care. And so we kind of like made like a half-ass effort to prep houses, if I remember right. Yeah, we went through some of the houses. I think we did most of the ones in San Antonio, but this one was up in Canyon Lake, and I think we were just too lazy to drive up there, so we just kind of assumed it'd be fine. But yeah, you're right. It was right before Christmas, and then the, one of the neighbors, he always texts me when random stuff happens. There's We had some pigs at one point that escaped. That's a whole other story. But he was texting me, and so he just texted me a video of like all this water. It was like a waterfall. Pouring down. Yeah, it's like a, it was just like a waterfall pouring down underneath the house. And so a lot of those houses up in Canyon Lake, they're built like on stilts. So at our house, we had all this like copper exposed pipe at the bottom. And when it froze, the water just busted the pipes because they expanded. And then when it like got warmer, all that frozen water liquefied and it just started pouring like a like a waterfall. So he texted me that Aaron and I were both out of town, so we could do nothing about it. But the neighbor was nice enough to to shut off the valve for us. And then we had to wait to, I guess, see the damage. Yeah. And and generally, I feel like kind of north, more in like the hill country area, it, it gets a little colder too. You know, a few degrees, nothing crazy. But then the other one we had was, I forget, the Rolling Acres, whatever that house was in Bernie, where we had the, it had a, it was on a well and tons of pipes burst. The well like froze. Yeah, Rolling We had acres, to replace yeah. the well pump, which is another... I don't know, three or four thousand dollars and the damage at Black Oak was thirty thousand uh, dollars. We don't yeah, we don't usually like to get insurance involved, but this one I was like, we need insurance involved because it 
it basically not only wrecked obviously the pipes underneath the house but it got into the inside a lot of the basically any pipes that shared an exterior wall bursted flooded the whole house so i think they ended up saying like thirty thousand dollars was their repair estimate so we had a contractor go out he did it for 20 which is nice but uh, yeah and then yeah yeah, so this year once we realized it's going to freeze on sunday we're recording this on saturday and did all this stuff on friday but uh, yeah once we realized it's going to freeze we were a little more serious this year so between the three, four, five of us, we kind of divided and conquered and got, I don't know, 20 something vacant houses, water turned off, drained, you know, anything we could do to, you know, keep, you know, from having issues. So when I say I hate yeah, the less than learn from, there's several. Re- yeah. Lesson learned from last year. Lesson learned from last year. And then, and then we have some properties just rented. And so we had our property managers, you know, remind all the tenants and stuff. Hey, this is what you should do to winterize a property. So even if people are living there, just remind them like, hey, put your faucet on a slow drip. Just little stuff that can definitely uh, help you out. Yeah, for sure. So that, I mean, that was the one of the big things this week. We also, seems like the market's picking up a little bit. We sold three or four houses this week, which is always nice to get things off the books. One of those that we wanted to just kind of quickly dive into was, you know, this one on Quail Hill we had in Spring Branch that pretty much everything went wrong that could possibly go wrong. I think we somehow, you know, still made some money on it. But I mean, starting off, so we all kind of give a quick overview and let Jason jump into some of the numbers on it. But I have this weird thing that if we've bought a house on the street before, I think it's really cool to buy more on the same street. I don't know why. But a buddy sent us this. We didn't go look at it, which we could have. We just said, hey, it's fine. We didn't go look at it. So we bought it sight unseen. The numbers looked fine. You know, we had just sold a remodeled house on the street on a smaller lot, smaller house, smaller lot for like 300, 310 remodeled. And we were buying this 175 and thought we were going to put like 50 in it. And it was also, you know, the lot was really nice and almost twice the size. The house was, well, 16 or six or so hundred square feet bigger or we thought it was, which we found out it wasn't. But yeah, so I mean, the numbers looked fine on it. And, you know, some of the stuff that's more rural, we like just because you can get stuff done and there's kind of less eyes on it. It's just, it's just kind of easier. So the first thing we did when we, we bought this thing and we walked in and we were immediately like, this is very small. Because we were going off the county, I think what the county had assessed the square footage at, right? Well, there's some kind of weird stuff with it because like it, I don't think it was super updated, but we, my, so my assumption was based on an old listing where it shows it's 1200 square feet, but there was like, they built a second story on it. So we were under the assumption that the second story wasn't counted in the square footage. And based on the old listing and some of the description of the, hey, there's, you know, this 600 square feet of living space that's not accounted for. We were like, cool, we're at like 16 to 1800. That's what we thought. So we buy this place and I mean, there's a million issues wrong with it, but the two biggest things is it's a whole lot smaller than we thought. And so it ends up being like 12, 1300 square feet. I don't know the exact square footage on it. It's small. Yeah, 1296. 1296. 1296 Perfect. And then... It also was missing like essential things like a living room. And I mean, stuff we should have known, but look back at it and you're like, oh, there's no living room here. So there was just a lot of 
a lot of work into reconfiguring, making it functional, making a living room where there wasn't one, moving, you know, utility rooms, adding a bath, like uh, all, all of these things that, you know, just completely blew up the budget. And then you add on that, like the thing was like built, like there's no rules. So, you know, walls weren't flush or, you know, it wasn't really built to any sort of like standard. So we end up like, I mean, it's like a new house at this point, but needless to say, a lot of things in there were not what we planned. But yeah, Jason, you want to talk numbers, timeline? Yeah, we blew our, our rehab budget out of the water. I think, well, Aaron, I think it was what, like a two bed, two bath originally, or like a two bed, one bath. It was the layout was just super weird. It, I think so, the whole second story so, was just a one giant bedroom. It was a two I guess it was a two, two. It had that really, really awkward, tiny shower downstairs, which we end up making just a half bath. Mm -hmm. And then we moved the utility room to add a full master bath downstairs, make the master downstairs. And then the upstairs that I guess was the master, we reconfigured into two bedrooms, moved the bathroom to make it, you know, two bedrooms with kind of a, we didn't end up doing a Jack and Jill. We, we were going to, but we didn't. So end up like really like reconfiguring the upstairs to make two small bedrooms and make it functional. And then. And it was, yeah, it was just a hard layout to reconfigure, but we did. So we blew that budget out of the water. I think Aaron said like 50K was original budget. We ended up more than doubling that. I think we didn't finish the entire numbers or we don't have all the entire final numbers because we literally just sold it last week but i think we spent somewhere around one hundred and five thousand on that rehab so that was not fun i ended up making a three bed two bath house and pretty much knew everything like new plumbing new electric new roof siding the whole thing we had to run um, so eight and all that stuff in the yeah. whole thing which that's yeah that's a lot no, I mean, you're talking about a 13 1300 square foot house so we thought originally too like hey if it was 16, 1,700 square feet, like we originally thought, we thought that thing would sell for 400, no problem. But somehow we were able to sell it for 343,000 uh, with 9K in concessions. And I think somehow eke out a profit like 15 to 20K is what it's looking like. But how long you know, did we own this thing? How long was it on the market? What what are all those numbers look like? So, yeah. So actually, I got the listing pulled up. So let me just share the screen. And we so we bought this back in i think middle of march 2023 rehab ended up taking like four and a half months so we finally got it listed in what is that july end of july or and then on the market for i mean five plus months so it's a i mean it's a cute house click through some of these pictures yeah, looking, real quick. yeah so i'll zoom in some of these photos so i mean it's nice you know the we had one of our buddies help run the rehab and everything. So great house, great lot. That living just room kind is of just a like tiny, tiny. The, oh, yeah. You walk that in. in the staging, but you walk in, you're like, you we walk in and we there's no, looking at there's it, no doubt. Like, can you even fit a couch in here? Yeah, that's this is the front door right here. And you walk straight into the kitchen. And then let's see what else. That's. Dude, I, I, that's this tiny couch. You can't tell, but that's a tiny couch over there. Yeah, I think the thing that or what we were hoping saved us on this was the lot's like freaking nice. It's on like almost two acres. You know, there's plenty of yard and place to entertain outside. There's a big deck. So 
we kind of staged the deck and did some of that stuff. And also the building, the big shed next door could kind of had electric and I don't think it had water, but it could be finished out. So we were trying to get creative on like, how can we make this thing, you know, seem maybe more functional than it actually is. I mean, it sounds like the people that bought it love it. So, you know, hopefully it serves them well. Yeah. So yeah, overall the project took us like nine months from when we bought it to when we sold it. So again, nobody's going to feel terrible for us because we, we still made a profit. But if you ask most flippers making 15K on a nine month project, I don't think most of them would take that deal. Yeah, that's the, I feel like that's been the theme lately. Just kind of some of our stuff where it's like, hey, we expected to make three to four times this, but you know, we, we eke out a profit on it and it's great. I would say like no one feels bad for it. You made $15,000, but when you're expecting and planning for that to be a hundred and half the time, it's not super fun. So that's that. What is, do you know what our lender made on it? I'm sure they made more than we did. (laughs) They definitely made more than we did. So it looks like they probably made 30, almost 30 grand on that between points and interest and that sort of thing. So, yeah, the lender made more than us, which great for him. But it is what it is. You know, we'll just have to roll with the punches. And that's just happening a lot. But we're hoping to get a few of these more tough ones off the plate and onto better stuff. Yeah, good deal. Well, let's jump into kind of what we want to talk about today. So let's talk about, you know, finding if you're new to this and you want to find your first off market deal or if you want to whether that's, hey, you want to wholesale or you want to maybe you flip now and you, you know, you want to stop buying from wholesalers and find your own deals. Let's talk about, you know, if we were, we were starting out, how we would go about that. You know, what, like step-by-step, what would we do? Maybe not what we did. Maybe there's something to learn from that too, but kind of knowing what we know now, you know, from, from A to Z, how would we find a deal if, you know, Hey, I've been listening to Bigger Pockets and I think it's like really interesting. And now I heard about this wholesaling or buying off market thing. Like, how do I actually apply that? So what Jason, what would you say is kind of the, you know, getting started step one, what do you do? I think that what we're going to say here is kind of contrary to maybe what a lot of people are going to preach if you sign up for wholesaling courses, for example, because a lot of people will tell you, hey, start marketing, go find a deal then just start blasting it out and trying to find buyers for it. If you're wholesaling, for example. But we have a pretty different approach. Hey, go and try to find a reputable company, a reputable buyer in your local area, someone that you trust that you know actually does deals. Go to them and ask them, hey, what what are you looking for? You know, What's the stuff that you're focused on and how can I provide that value to you? And that pretty much gives you the criteria that you need to go out and start looking for deals. So um, that's probably the first step is go go and network and connect with some some great buyers. Okay, so let's rewind ideas. that a little bit. Where where would I find someone? So do I Google them. Do I? Yeah. What do I do? Definitely. So yeah. So there's a probably a few different methods. Obviously, meetups are great. You can meet people face to face, and there's that personal connection there. But it is hard to figure out. Hey, does this person actually do deals? Do they just talk a good game? What does that look like? So that's when you just have to start doing all the internet stalker research. <laughs> I think you can go and 
you know, type up someone's company name in the county records, see stuff that they bought, say, okay, they've done 30 transactions in the last year. Like there's some big buyers. Also, if you just look up like home buyers and stuff in whatever area, so home buyer San Antonio, pretty much like those top companies that you see on the first page, they're, they're spending money on that marketing, meaning that they're probably doing deals. So I would definitely look at the internet too as a resource. Where would you look at, Aaron? And I think that's really good. I think meetups and local stuff's really good. And I think if you're going to go the online route, like just put some effort in. Like, like if you looked up Murphy Homebuyers or found us in San Antonio, you know, the, the extra effort it takes to one of you going on, on our website, you're going to see me and Jason. Like, we're not hidden. Like, it, we're, there's faces, there's names. Like, it tells what we do, all that stuff. And I would say go that next step. Find, like, reach out to one of us individually, you know. Find us on Instagram, find us on Facebook, do something like that. Because that's a lot more meaningful than if someone calls our company number and just says, hey, like, we guys buy my deal. Like, I guess I want to see that people put in put in the effort. Like, it doesn't take that much effort to find out, like, oh, this company seems like they're doing stuff. Like, who are their owners? Or maybe you pull the, type in the company name and find out who the registered agent is. Like, there's, there's several ways to do it that aren't that hard, but show that you you know, really kind of put in a little bit of effort, you know, because the other side of that is like when people call us and try to sell us deals and like they don't know who we are. So I'm like, why would I waste my time? But also just from a strictly practical standpoint, I'm paying for that call that's coming in. So I don't love that when you're wasting my time and money. So with that, I think that, you know, the first step of, you know, trying to find someone to buy your deals is important and, and accomplishes several things. So and some of the things that I think early on are the most difficult. So if you have a reputable buyer, they're going to have a reputable title company. They're going to know, you know, which title companies do investors work with because we won't dive into this today. But the difference in like a retail title company and a title company that works with investors is like night and day different. So, you know, that's one thing they're going to know. Like if if you bring me and Jason a deal and say, hey, like I found this, like what would you pay for it? You don't need to know how to calculate repairs. You don't need to know what it's worth. You don't need to know what it's worth when it's finished. You just need to know that, hey, they said they'll pay 100. If I can get it for less than 100, I can make money, right? So I, I think that's the most important thing starting out because, you know, comping houses can be difficult. Calculating repairs and knowing what things cost and knowing what percentage people buy at, all of those things just aren't super straightforward. And you know, I think as you go on, you know, make that a relationship where you're like, cool, can you like show me how you run your numbers? Like if I bring you a deal, can you, and you flip it, can I like, can I be involved? You know, can, can you call me when you talk to your contractor and I can meet you out there? Like any, anyone's going to say yes to that. And then I think it's a thing you get to the point where you do four, five, 10, whatever. And then you start to learn on your own and, you know, maybe of other buyers, maybe, Maybe you want to sell to us or whoever that person is forever. But I, I think you don't need to know, like you don't need to know everything to get started. But I think you do have to have the humility to to acknowledge that, right? So like when I got started, I worked for a broker. I gave away at least half of every deal until three or four in when I got to the point where I'm like, I think I can do this on my own. And, you know, still talk to him this day, like have nothing but positive things to say about that entire situation and relationship. But like, because the reality is if I was getting started, I wouldn't know, I don't know what to pay for things. I wouldn't know any of that. 
but you know those situations kind of you know help you get started get your foot in the door yeah and that i think that a lot of people wonder like why people say no if someone messaged you on instagram aaron like hey aaron can can i get coffee with you and can i pick your brain you know sometimes we do but a lot of the times you know you reach out to people that are doing deals and they don't respond or maybe they'd politely decline and if you come to people with deals they're just trying to provide them value like they're more they're, they're gonna help you whether that's running comps you know introducing you to the right people the power of reciprocity is like huge so yeah i, I think along those lines like taking an initi- initiative goes a long way like the people that reach out and say like hey how can i provide you value aren't like we're probably not gonna respond to those not because like we're we're assholes. I mean, maybe, but it's more like, okay, you just create another job for me to like figure out like what you can do for me, you know? So it's like, well, I don't, yeah, like I don't, I don't, I, I don't know you. I don't know what your strengths are. I don't know what you're good at. Like now I have to think about how can I put this person to use or how to extract value from this person. And you're making us think. Yeah. But if you come in and you're like, Hey, I think I have this deal. Like, can you tell me what you'd pay for it? Or, Hey, you know, I know so-and-so that wants to sell like you know, it's a fixer up or whatever, like, what can you pay for it? Like something where you're actually adding value that's not just creating more work. So, you know, I think that we're always going to be willing to help people on that. And I've had several people do that in the past, but I think more often than not, you see the folks that, hey, I don't want to ask for help. I don't want to potentially split a deal with someone. I don't want to do any of those things. So the result is they end up either not doing anything or they lock up deals that are not deals and it just doesn't help anyone. Anyway, enough on that. So cool. So you found step one. We found, you know, I found Jason. Jason wants to buy my deals. I know he's good for it. Cool. Now what do I do? So I would say step two is figuring out how to find those deals. And that largely depends on if you have a marketing budget, how much time you have. There's a few different factors that have to play. So I'll touch a little bit on maybe a... I got some time. I got a lot of time. Maybe I'm fresh out of college. Don't have a lot of money though. What am I to do? So some cheap marketing things that we always recommend people. There's driving for dollars. That's a good one. You're just driving around. You're looking for vacant properties. Property has been neglected. Um, actually, you know, writing the addresses down. You can give them a call, text, mail, or anything like that. Door knocking is another great one. It's when you're physically trying to go out there, meet people door to door. Make sure to always leave a note behind. And then calling and texting are are two more pretty cheap ones. Just trying to to skip trace the numbers and all that sort of stuff. Pull the data from there. Or I guess pull the data first. And you know, there's a few different ways you can pull the data. I think you can use some paid stuff. PropStream is a good one. There's a free one, right, Aaron? I forgot the name of it already. It's kind of like PropStream. PropWire. PropWire, yeah. So there's a few different like data sources where you can pull data and then take those list of houses and go and skip trace to cold call, cold text. Um, that's how I got my first deal when I was trying to wholesale was through cold texting. So those are, you know, they're a lot more time intensive, but you're really just trading the time for the money because it doesn't cost a lot to do a lot of that stuff. That's how I would I would market if I didn't have a ton of money. Um, but it would look very different if if you did have a marketing budget. If you were at, if you had you know 10, 20k saved up and you were down to do this and go all in on it. Aaron, do you want to talk a little bit about if you had money, what you would do? Yeah. So before that, I'll jump into a few more lists and kind of ideas. So stuff I like or would start with, and it's kind of low hanging fruit is any sort of like expired MLS. That stuff's gotten a 
there were a few years when that like didn't exist because everything sold. We're now in a market where things sit on the market or potentially don't sell. So you have these people that, you know, they tried to sell their house for six months. It didn't sell. They pulled it off the market and they're sitting on it. So I like that a lot. You're going to get a lot of people that want retail. But in that, I mean, we just locked up a deal yesterday that was an expired MLS. So I, I like that. I think pre-foreclosures, I, I personally don't like because they're a lot a lot of work. But the nice thing about those is they're time bound and you have, you know, fresh lists that come out every single month and they have a month before it goes to the auction. So those people you can call or text or door knock or whatever until they no longer own the property or they figure it out. So those are some things I like. There's there's a million other lists. If you if you reach out to one of us, we'll we'll gladly kind of walk you through some some ideas. And then kind of getting into the hey, you have some money to spend on marketing. We, I mean, kind of initially, I think we like mail. And I always tell people like, like, don't be afraid to, I mean, be really honest and really personal with with your mail pieces, especially if you're mailing, you know, at a kind of smaller volume. You know, if I'm Jason, it might be like, hey, me and my wife are looking to buy our first investment property. Like there's no shame in like being really honest about that. Or, you know, I don't like the, Hey, we're looking to move into town unless you actually are. But the like, like just being really honest about like, hey, like we're we're trying to find our first rental. Like we're, you know, young investors trying to do this. Like people like that. And you're gonna you're gonna find there's people that like want to help you, right? Like we have a lot of people that sell those houses and they know they're selling at a discount. They know that they're, you know, trading equity for convenience, but they willingly do it. So I always say like on that stuff, like, especially if you're mailing at a smaller volume, like use all that to your advantage. Hey, we're this cute family. Like we want to buy a rental property, like show your kids and dog, like it's awesome. So that's something I would probably, you know, recommend with, you know, getting started with a budget. I like mail a lot. Where, where do you, where do you, who you, who are you using for mail? I guess, are you handwriting each one of these yourselves or using a company? I mean, so you, I mean, you can. So I think if it's, I mean, I know people that are like, hey, I'm going to send 100 a day. I'm going to handwrite them. I did my own mail once and it was enough for me to be like, this is never something I want to do. And that was like printed and it was like 500 pieces. But companies we like, we like ballpoint marketing. We like open letter marketing. I believe we have discount codes for both of those if you decide to to go one of those routes. Ballpoints, their whole thing is kind of handwritten Letters, they're really nice. Open letter kind of has a little bit of everything. And that's who we like to use. Jason, what else? What else do you do if you had a little bit of budget? Where would you spend it? How would you get deals? Definitely. And I'll just shamelessly say, yeah, the if you, anyone wants to sign up for ballpoint marketing, we have a code. I think it's Murphy5. You get a 5% discount for that. Open letter, I think the code is just Murphy. And again, it's just a 5% code. So if you guys want to test them out, we use both of them, like Aaron said. So you know, we don't really recommend anyone we don't use and haven't tried before. But besides mail, mail's were the most consistent. After that, I actually like some of the pay-per-click stuff. I mean, you're going to have to set up a website. And there's companies like carrot.com that m- most people use. It's like a templated website. If you look at, you know, Sell My House San Antonio, any of those like websites, they're probably a carrot website just with different uh, logos and different colors. But I, I like using, you know, pay-per-click. That's a pretty good one. Basically, if you don't know what that is, that's just paying Google to show up at the top 
of the search results on the internet. So when someone types in, hey, I need to sell my house fast, you pop up at the top because you basically paid for that ad. It's really important though that you track your budget with everything like that because it's, it's very easy to light money on fire because Google will take your budget as fast as it can. So you really got to track it. But that's some good way. That's a good way to get some good leads pretty fast. Yeah, with that too. I mean, there's you know there's things that work that we don't we don't really do. I and mean, there's cold calling. You can hire cold callers. We've done that sporadically. One of my first deals, I hired a cold caller online. I think it was based in the Philippines. Who called? You know, I paid five or six bucks an hour. They called six or eight hours a day. You know, that's that's definitely an option. I think the biggest thing with any sort of paid marketing is, you know, having good expectations and having consistency with that. So, you know, kind of knowing like you're not going to make 10 phone calls and get a deal. You might, but that's not the norm. So kind of having expectations on how much am I going to have to spend to get a deal? How many mail pieces, calls, whatever, you know, what does that look like? Because I think we see a lot of people where either they people make it sound too easy or, you know, they'll kind of oversell stuff or, you know, they just don't have good expectations. And you're like, well, I mailed 300 people and that's a lot of people when, you know, realistically you may need to mail three or 5,000 people. So, you know, kind of having good expectations around that, anything you would, you could speak to on that on like, Jason, like cost per deal or, you know, how many leads you're going to get with different marketing types, how many you know, kind of, kind of this is just like funnel of like, Hey, you need marketing to get you leads. You need leads to get you appointments. You need appointments to make offers. You need offers to get deals. Like what is not that has to be perfect. What does that look like? For sure. I love that you said the whole consistency piece to it as well. Cause we, when we were starting off mail and we know have buddies that it took them three, four, five months of mail before they were able to snag the first deal. Most people send out some stuff in like the first month or two, don't get anything and then just say, Hey, it doesn't work. So I've said it multiple times, like I think any marketing channel, whether that's mail, whether that's, you know, online stuff, whether that's texting, cold calling, whatever, it's if you have the consistency and you kind of build that out, you're going to be successful in it. But yeah, as far as for us, at least I'm kind of taking a look at some of our spreadsheets, some of our data and stuff. So mail, San Antonio mail, a lot of it depends on like what lists you're hitting, who you're hitting. But I would say a good response rate, probably about like 1%. So if people are thinking, hey, you know, I'm, I'm sending out 5,000 postcards, I can expect, what is that, like 50, 50 phone calls pretty much, right? And so that's, that's kind of like the metric that we use. Again, it's going to depend on the list. And then from there, like maybe about any from 20 to, to 40% of those might are actually sellers that are qualified. So because you'll get some phone calls that are like, hey, take me off the list. You'll get some phone calls where they want over retail and there's just they're they're just not much motivation there they just wanted to call to see if they can uh, win the lottery pretty much but of that like you might get 20 to 40 percent of those 50 phone calls that are actually worth an appointment and going to meet in person and then you know we have an objective for our guys that of those appointments they close about 20 to 25 percent of them so those are just some of kind of our numbers and how we like like to work it and backtrack from there so it really is just a numbers game at the end of the day. Once you start to, you know, do more volume and stuff. But with all that being said, like you're going to have to spend money and be consistent if you want to get into some of these marketing strategies, or if not the money, then the time. If you're cold calling, cold texting, that sort of thing. 
For sure. And that's good. So, okay, let's fast forward. We we found someone that wants to buy our deals. We did our marketing. We suddenly have some houses to look at. I just want to jump into kind of how I approach that because when I was getting started, it was very different than how it is now. So, or what I did then is different than what I did now, which is funny because I look back and I'm like, there's, it's very obvious why no one ever sold me a house. So when I first got started, it was literally like, we would go look at a house. We would walk around for like two minutes, like only look at the house. Like the seller, the person was just like there to let us in. Right. So I would go look at the house and then we would either on the spot or call them back and just be like, 100,000, let me know. And then if they said yes, fine. If they said anything that wasn't yes, I never talked to them again. With this whole thing, one, our approach with meeting sellers is very like how to win friends and influence people based. Like we're concerned more about the people than the house. Yeah, we're going around, we're taking pictures, but I'm like, personally, I'm like notorious for taking really bad pictures. Don't laugh at that, Jason. Yep. Uh, Aaron, Aaron always has, yeah, always blurry photos and there's at least one mere selfie. So we always appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, you got to have bathroom selfies. But yeah, like I'll take pictures and send them to people and they'll be like, were you even in this house? Like what is happening? But the reason like my defense in that, whether that's real or not, is I'm much more focused on the people, like figuring out like what they need, what their situation is, you know, like why are they selling their house? What's their objective, you know? By selling this house, what are they trying to get to? Like, hey, we're trying to pay off this or we're trying to get this, you know, burden out of our lives or, you know, really trying to figure out what's going on and if and how we can be a good solution for that. So, and believe it or not, when you do that, you get more deals than if you just walk in and tell someone a number and never talk to them again. So maybe hard to believe, but, you know, that's, you know, very much our approach to all of this of, hey, we try to genuinely get to know the people and really care for them in the process. You know, the goal isn't to, you know, become their best friend, but, you know, the goal is to find a win-win solution. And if that's selling to an investor, awesome. If that's something else, it's also awesome, right? But, you know, our goal in that is to really, you know, get to know them, figure out what they have going on and see, you know, how we can serve them in that situation, which is very different than someone just comes in and, walks around, makes an offer. It's very different than your Zillow's and your open doors and that literally don't care about the people at all. You know, so we, that's how we approach that side of things. And then from there, you know, we're going to run our numbers. If, you know, you're taking our advice here, you're going to literally just send pictures to the buyer, you know, and say, Hey, what will you pay for this? They're going to say a hundred and you're going to figure out how to get it for less than a hundred. So, if you take this approach, I think early on, it's very simple because you don't have to figure out what that number is. You just have to get it for less than someone tells you. So, and any reputable buyer is not going to care what you make on it. If you come to me and Jason and we, and we say, hey, we'll buy it for a hundred and you somehow bought the house for $20,000, we don't care. Like our numbers still work. We're happy for you. How do you get such a good deal? That's awesome. Like we don't care. But yeah, so I mean, that's, that's kind of why we go this unconventional approach of like, find your buyer first. Like, you don't need to know what the house is worth. You don't need to know how to figure out repair costs because all those things are difficult. And if you're not flipping houses, if you're not, you know, selling houses, it's it's not super easy to figure that out. Anything I missed there, Jason? Anything to kind of add? Yeah, you had some great points. And as far as 
focusing on the people, not necessarily the numbers. I mean, that people buy and sell to people that they know, like, and trust, right? Um, and so when it feels transactional, when they feel like you have that commission's breath that you're just trying to like, you just really want a deal and you really want to make money and that's it. They can, they can tell that from a mile away, most, most sellers. But I'd actually ba- like to backtrack a little bit as far as like, Hey, like, how do I track a lot of this stuff too? Cause ideally, if you're sending out mailers, if you're sending that, like, you know, doing some other form of marketing, you should have some, some people calling you back, texting you back, that sort of thing. So if you're doing it on a smaller scale, just trying to get your first deal, I mean, you can set up like a Google phone number if you don't want to give out your personal phone number and stuff. I would probably do like a local area code. So like 210 if you're in San Antonio, for example. So that way they feel like, hey, this person's local, I can trust them. And then I would say just track your stuff like on a Google spreadsheet. You don't have to make it too complicated. Just put, hey, like this is the address, this is the name, you know, some notes when you talk to them. And if you are trying to scale, you know, we there are CRMs out there. If you'd like to look at it, we use one called Resimply. So if you, you want to go that route, feel free to look into that. But yeah, but the main thing is like when you're talking with them on the phone, again, focus on building rapport. That's like the main thing. You can find out a lot about the condition of the house once you get there. But stuff that we always say to like our sales guys is one, like try to get an asking price out of them, right? Like, hey, like, hey, how much how much are you looking for for this house? Or, you know, if, if the world was perfect, you know, what what could you get for this house? What would you want? Because that's going to help you in negotiating a little bit later. Other stuff we would ask them about just when they're looking to sell, right? Like, are they looking to sell ASAP? Are they looking to sell six months from now? That's all is kind of important. And then as far as, and then once you get to the house, some important things, I know we're trying to focus on the seller, build rapport, but I would like to point out that there are some probably bigger things that you should ask about or try to check out. So that way, when you send the information to, you know, Aaron, for example, as a reputable buyer, you're able to answer the questions. So big one, San Antonio, especially foundation, right? Like try to, is the foundation feel off? Um, You can ask them about if they've had it recently repaired. How old is the roof? How old is the HVAC system? Issues with electrical and plumbing. Really just like the major stuff that you can't see in photos or tell in photos just try to ask that and write down some of that information too, because that's really going to help out when you have your buyer that's trying to run their numbers. I mean, they can't tell if the foundation is really jacked up or not, right? So a little bit, little bit of advice I would give as far as like when you're talking before the appointment and actually at the appointment. Good deal. Yeah. And, and in this world, there's like infinite opportunities for like spending money on a tech stack and like Hey, this phone system, this CRM, this tool to do this, this, and this. But I think, you know, Jason really touched on it there. But, you know, getting started, like, get a spreadsheet, get a Google number. You know, I would kind of bootstrap it until, you know, you get a deal. Like, there's not, you don't need a website. You don't need a website. And if you need a website, you don't need to pay for a full year of it. Like, you don't need to do any of that stuff where, you know, the the biggest thing initially is just get get some money coming in. So, you know, I think it's it's important there to to keep that simple, but you know, make it you know make it a spreadsheet and go in and like track your own kind of numbers. Hey, did I I need to call this many people a day. Did I call them? Like, it doesn't have to be fancy, but you know, you you need to be tracking that somehow. And then the the big thing with us is we we essentially follow up with people forever. So if they still own the house and they haven't like very meanly told us to leave them alone. Like we will continue to contact them. And some of these, some of these deals, you know, they happen immediately. They're really easy. They're simple. And then some of them literally take months or years to pan out. 
But if you, you know, quit after a few months or if you stop, you know, talking to people after a few months, you're never going to see the results of that. So, you know, I think that's the big thing, you know, we see is, you know, a lot of these people come back to us. Like we just had one a few months ago that I guess last month we bought, we bought it at the end of December. And I originally looked at the house in May and we followed up from, you know, the time she hung up on me in May till we bought the house in December. And, you know, if I would have stopped talking to her, stopped contacting her a month or two in and never would have happened. So I think that's, you know, a, a big lesson, you know, to learn there as well. But yeah, I mean, what, yeah, you never, uh, you never, yeah, I was going to say, you never know, like people don't realize that life happens, right? Like they're not in a position to sell right now, but in three months from now, they might have, you know, mom, unfortunately pass away. And stuff looks a lot different at that point, or you know maybe they lost their job and they're no longer able to keep up with the mortgage payments. Like life happens, and so if you're not constantly trying to follow up with them, like they're you're not going to be on the forefront of their mind. And someone else is going to mail them. Someone else is going to be following up, and they're going to be talking to that company instead of you. Cool, cool. So, so I'll I'll attempt to wrap up here. So you know, hopefully, hopefully this stuff's helpful. You know, and I guess my suggestion from there is like you know, kind of follow that process. One, of course, reach out to us. We're glad to help, you know, navigate this stuff, you know, help you with lists or skip tracing or whatever that looks like. But my big thing that, and I think that where Jason and I have seen growth, you know, as a company is we're big on like, cool, do a deal, like reinvest those resources. Right. So I think that's how you grow. So hopefully, you know, we kind of, you know, broke down how to find your first deal. If you want to buy an off-market deal, what that looks like, you know, kind of that simple process. Of course, there's, you can't cover everything in, you know, 30 or 40 minutes, but I hope we did a good job of kind of breaking down, like, you know, how would I find someone that wants to sell me their house? How do I find someone to buy it? What does that look like? Jason, anything else before we, we kind of wrap? I, yeah, I kind of want to say in summary, just the two main takeaways is one, be consistent. And whether that's with the marketing, with the follow-up, no matter what it is, be consistent with it. Don't give up after the first month. And then two, don't overcomplicate things. You know, start off small, bootstrap it like Aaron said. And when you reach a point of like, hey, I can't track all this. There's too many in my spreadsheet now. I need to move over to a CRM. Then like cross that bridge when you get there, right? I see a lot of people that get stuck in this analysis paralysis because they're trying to find the best software to use out there, right? So those are the two things I would say. But yeah, that's, that's pretty much all I had. and. I think the best way to reach you, Aaron's probably Instagram, me as well. I think Aaron's Aaron.Beal. Is that right, Aaron? Yep. On Instagram. So Aaron.Beal. And then for me, it's Investor Jason Lee. So reach out to us anytime if you guys have any questions on anything. Yeah, hit us up. Of course, you know, the usual, if you can like, share, subscribe if this is helpful. You know, our goal is to give you a real picture of what's going on in San Antonio and also, you know, just add as much value as we possibly can and just be an open book about this stuff. So hit us up anytime. Hopefully this is helpful and if you made it this far, thanks for, thanks for tagging along and we will be back next week. Great. Peace guys.